0: This is your host, Dr. Jordan Silverstein, and you're listening to the Let's Talk Cancer podcast, where we make information about cancer easy to access for patients and their families. And please remember, the information presented here is for entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, treatment, or education. Today, we are joined by Dr. Jessica Stewart, also known as Jessie, to talk about preparing for cancer treatments. Jessie grew up in Connecticut before attending Stanford University for her undergraduate. She then went to Harvard Medical School and is training currently in internal medicine at the Brigham and Women's Hospital. She also works with the Thoracic Oncology Group at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, doing research on cancer immunotherapies. Not only does she treat patients, she was herself a cancer patient when she was diagnosed with lymphoma at age 12 and treated into her teenage years. She recently published an article in the New England Journal of Medicine titled The Little Things, which sheds lights on how being a patient has shaped how she treats her own patients, linked on our website. Hi, Jessie. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much, Jordan. I'm excited to be here. Let's start today's episode by you telling a bit about your cancer story.
1: Sure. Um, So when I was 12, I was a pretty average 12-year-old kid going to school, playing lots of sports. And I remember it was ice hockey season and I was brushing my hair and I noticed that there was like a small bump on the left side of my head. And I noticed it also like when my head was in my hockey helmet. Um, And so I told my parents about it, didn't really make too much of it. We went to the doctor. They also, you know, didn't totally know what to make of it, but we basically came up with a plan to remove it, thinking that it was most likely like a cyst and then kind of go from there. Um, And so that winter I had, um, like a pretty minor surgery to remove the bump. Um, And my mom just remembers the surgeon telling her like, you know, everything went well. It didn't really pop out as easily as we thought it was going to. And she says that those words kind of like haunted her and stuck with her a little bit. Um, And then like a week later, it was actually my little sister's birthday party. And my mom got a phone call with the pathology results, basically saying like, this was very unexpectedly, um, Non Hodgkin's lymphoblastic B cell lymphoma. Um, and so, you know, the subsequent few weeks were kind of a whirlwind going to different medical centers, talking to different oncologists about what the treatment plan would be. Um, I ended up being treated at Sloan Kettering in the city. I was living in Connecticut, kind of outside New York with my family at the time. So for the next, it was like three years from the ages of roughly 12 to 15. Um, I was treated at Sloan Cuttering with like various cycles of chemo and sort of oral chemo. Um, and fortunately, I'm now completely healthy, um, have been, you know, cured in remission basically since then. And so I just feel very, very lucky, um, all things
0: considered. So it's three years of treatment that you went through? Yeah, it's a long,
1: um, all like, putting that all together, it ends up being like three years of treatment. So it's very, it was a very long um, experience, but it got a little bit better, like every
0: six months along the way. And this is the specific treatment for your lymphoma.
1: Yes, exactly. So it's um, for my specific, like B cell non Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, they just have shown that in children, like the cure rates are North of 90%. If you use this heavy hitting chemo um and so I remember like being jealous of the kids with Hodgkin's lymphoma because theirs was only six months and I was like oh my god six months would be so nice (sighs) Uh, but the flip side is that it works you know so it's
0: like I I was
1: yeah no thank you I mean I just felt lucky and like you know it's just really nice you know mentally it's easier to get through something if you know that kind of the odds are in your favor so I feel like that was um very like uh helpful and moralizing along the way.
0: And putting your treatment in context, did you go to school during this time?
1: Good question. So I was like halfway through seventh grade and I did not go to school the rest of seventh grade. Um, I remember meeting with one of my teachers and he was like, you know, if you don't read Beowulf, like I think you can still live a successful (laughs)
0: life.
1: (laughs) So they were very nice and accommodating. I had to do like math packets and Spanish packets from the hospital oh my um so like my mom and I would like do these math and Spanish packets together just because those are the subjects that are more they like build on each other year by year
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but no like all the chemo was during the week I was like feeling pretty lousy so like actually going to school and I was like immunocompromised and so actually like going to school and being surrounded by germs um was also problematic for that reason yeah um, but I was back in school the fall of my eighth grade. So I only ended up missing half a year. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you for sharing your story and putting into context so much of what you've been through. So you have a very unique perspective right now, having gone through the treatments yourself and now treating patients. So I do think it was, you have a lot of good information for our listeners about what it is really like for patients. To go through cancer treatments and at the beginning of cancer treatment the word port gets thrown around um, and I don't think most people have heard of the word port until they really go through cancer treatments. Can you explain uh, what a port is?
1: Yes, that's a good question. I also had no idea what it was until I think I think my port was placed the day after I was diagnosed um, and I'm sure that's the case for like a lot of listeners where, you are told that you have cancer and often like depending on the diagnosis, you have to start treatment ASAP. And so you often don't have a lot of time to process these things. So I think it's a great question. Um, But essentially a port, it's like a small plastic device um, that's essentially implanted under your skin. And then it has a catheter that feeds into like the large blood vessels and then enters one of the chambers of the heart. And the purpose of it is that essentially, you know, chemotherapy is basically poison. And so um, it's a good thing because you need it to get into the bloodstream and be delivered to the cancer and kill the cancer cells. Um, But it also means that it's very dangerous if it like leaks out of your bloodstream and gets into um, the surrounding tissues because it is so toxic. Um, and so the benefit of the port is that it's like a very sturdy, durable device that, you know, is going exactly into your heart, which is going to pump it to the rest of your body. You know, it's going into the right place as opposed to using something like an IV, um, which is smaller. It's not as sturdy. It can get misplaced and you can have issues with like chemo leaking out and, you know, kind of burning the surrounding skin or tissues, um, and then also, you know, unfortunately cancer patients, um, need, uh, IV intravenous access, like, you know, for days, weeks, years on end. And so, um, the other benefit of the port is that like, if you were using IVs, you would just blow through all of your veins. Um, cause over time, just like sticking a needle in veins causes them to, um, clot or just get all damaged. And so it's not really a reliable option, whereas the port is like a really, um, is like a durable option. And so it sits, so it's like a little, um, you can see it, you know, I had one that was like right under my collarbone on the left side, it's probably like a few inches long, kind of an oval shape. Um, And again, it sits on, they do kind of a minor surgery to implant it under your skin. And then whenever they need to access the port, they just take like a small specialized needle and then stick the needle into the, um, into the lumen of the port. And then they can hook that up to whatever medications you need intravenously.
0: So a port, a small device right under your skin, where you can get medications through and you can get blood draws out of, did you have to get poked on top of having a port?
1: Great question. So unfortunately, yes. So different people have different types of devices, but if you have a port, um, again, the benefit is that it sits under your skin. It's not sticking out. Um, but the downside is that you still have to get a poke with a small needle to actually access, Mm -hmm. um, like the opening of the port, which sits under your skin. And so, The upside is that you can shower with it. You can live your life in, you know, with most clothing, people don't really notice it. It's not sort of hanging out in the way that some other lines do. Um, But the downside is that, yes, you still have to get stuck, which always stinks.
0: (laughs) And do you remember getting it placed, what that experience was like?
1: I do. Um, And, you know, I think the procedure itself, fortunately is pretty quick and straightforward. Like the people who do it, they often do dozens of them per day. And so, um, you know, I want to say it's like, it takes 20, 30 minutes. Um, I was put under, I think it depends on, um, put under anesthesia. I think it depends probably on a case by case basis, like whether you're put under or not, but that part was pretty seamless like i don't remember it i was put under anesthesia i woke up and i had like a small scar under my collarbone and then i had this new plastic device kind of jutting out under my skin um the part that i do remember is it is a little bit sore at first like i want to say for the first week or so it's sore and then they have to access it which like you said is a is a small poke where they're basically taking a needle going through your skin and actually like entering the port and you can imagine that it's like the way I described it was like you have a fresh bruise and then someone's punching the fresh bruise so the first week is not fun but I would just say that it gets way better because your body gets used to it and it stops being sore after like a few days to a week
0: and how do you take care of it at home you said you could shower with it do you have to keep it really clean and sanitary
1: you know, you don't really, it's a pretty low maintenance thing because it's under the skin, it's naturally sterile. So you don't have to do like any specific, um, hygiene or like cleaning things. Um, you can shower with it. Um, there's really no special instructions. Um, the one thing that I'll just mention, cause I think it's, uh, interesting is, um, obviously you don't want to have like trauma to that area. And again, I was in the middle of ice hockey season. And so my oncologist. Like bless her heart, my parents were like, "Well, Jesse wants to try to like get back to playing hockey." I think this was actually a year later, so it wasn't right when I was diagnosed. It was a year later Mm -hmm. when I was starting to feel better. My parents were like, "Well, can she go play ice hockey?" And my oncologist was like, "Well, is it like a contact sport?" (laughs) My parents were like, "Yeah, it's a very, it's a pretty like intense (laughs) contact sport." So somehow, I don't know how she did this, but she referred me to this like engineering center at sloan kettering where they literally made me this like fiberglass armor
0: that was like
1: strapped across my back and then it had it kind of like covered my chest and then it had like a little pocket over the port protecting it which i don't know if they've like ever they had ever done it before i don't know if they've ever done it since um but it totally worked and i was like able to play hockey and it was nice and protected and i didn't have to worry about it like getting damaged in any way so I just bring it up because I think, I think often in pediatrics, um, providers are really, are probably better than in adult medicine about like helping patients. Yeah. Being creative, helping patients live their lives, like recognizing the things that are important to them. Like, you know, again, I'm an adult doctor and I can imagine this conversation if like, a 20 something was saying that they wanted to go play ice hockey with their port. I could imagine being like, what you're insane. Like, why are you thinking about ice hockey? You should be thinking about your cancer. Um, But I just say it because, you know, you should advocate for yourself. If there is something, if you ever do have a port and there is something that you want to do, like you can be creative and come up with interesting solutions.
0: Mm -hmm. And trying to stay true to who you are, despite the cancer treatments that you're going through. Totally any other port advice that you want to share?
1: Yeah. Um, so I have a couple things that I found helpful. Um, the first is it actually matters what clothing you wear, I think, when you know you're going to have your port accessed. Um, so I would definitely recommend wearing um, like a layer that is either like a half zip or quarter zip or even like a button up cardigan type of thing because um, just it- just makes it much easier to access the port. And then also um, you can imagine once it is accessed, you're often hooked up to an infusion for like hours at a time. And so to be able to have something that's easy to like zip up and down for all of those tubes and wires coming out um, is super helpful. So I would definitely recommend that. Um, And then the second thing that I found helpful um, is using uh, topical lidocaine, which is like a numbing Mm -hmm. cream. Um, you can put it on like roughly a half an hour before your port's going to be accessed. You just, it's just like a cream. You put it on top of the skin overlying the port. You can put, um, like Tegaderm, which is just a bandage to keep the, the cream in place. And it makes a huge difference. Like 90% of the time, you really can't feel anything when they go to, to poke it. Um, and it's not like the poke, is the end of the world but when you're being poked all the time day in and day out for like months to years at a time like why not make your life easier and spare yourself the pain of the poke and so would definitely recommend using emla cream or another lidocaine cream
0: that's really helpful and also helpful for oncologists to know to prescribe that for their patients
1: it makes a huge difference it really works
0: well thanks for walking us through report um do you mind walking us through what a day of treatment was like? Yeah, totally. Um,
1: so obviously everyone is different depending on your regimen and what chemo you're getting that day. Um, but I would say an average day for me, um, meant showing up usually pretty early in the morning, um, like maybe around seven 30 or eight, uh, going to the clinic Usually um, I would start by getting my labs checked. Um, So uh, as you said, they can often draw labs through the port. So I'd go in, I'd get my port accessed. Um, They could draw labs through there. Um, We'd usually wait in the waiting room while the labs were sort of being processed. Then I would usually meet with either my oncologist or um, the awesome nurse practitioner and just check in and make sure that I was sort of feeling well enough for treatment that I wasn't having fevers things like that um then after that visit which is usually pretty quick you're brought back to sort of the infusion center which i think can look like a variety of different ways um for me it depended on the day on a good day i was able to have my own little room which was basically, like, a very small room with, like, a reclining chair, a couple chairs for my parents, a TV, an IV pole, and that's kind of your spot where you can plant for the day. Um, sometimes, depending on, like, space and availability, I would have to, I would be in, like, a more communal space, so it was just, like, a bunch of reclining chairs together, um, and we always would laugh because there was, it was always me and, like, 5 year olds and so it would always there would be like Dora the Explorer playing on the TV. <laughs> so um so that was always like a little bit tougher but you go, you know, to wherever you're going to um, have the infusion, the nurses come in, um the nurses who work there are just, I mean, at least in my experience were incredible. Like they're just experts at their job. They know exactly what they're doing. They take safety really seriously. And so often two nurses will come in, they verify your information, they verify the chemo, you know, they check your date of birth, all that stuff. Um, And then they hook you up to the chemotherapy, which again, um, goes in through your port. And depending on the chemo, like sometimes it's as short as 30 minutes, sometimes it's like eight hours. Um, Sometimes I would go home with a backpack that was like, that contained the chemo and it would keep Mm -hmm. infusing for days at a time. So it just depends. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, You know, The good thing is that usually you don't feel bad that day, like the bad side effects come days later. So usually like while the medication is going in, you don't feel terrible. Um, and so it's kind of just a day to like kill time, hang out. Um, I watched a lot of TV. I read a lot of books, um, and just kind of tried to get through the day.
0: And do you have alone time during the infusions? Or is the nurse kind of at your bed watching you making sure? I feel
1: like I was alone for most of it. Like the nurses definitely diligently check on you, but it's not like someone is watching you all the time. And again, like that might be different depending on what chemo it is and how likely people are to get like an allergic reaction or something. But in my experience, no, it was like I was alone or, you know, in in my case, like with my parents for Mm -hmm. um, most of the day watching TV
0: so if visitors allowed bringing visitors was probably really nice and then bringing some sort of entertainment or a book or something during the infusion especially during the longer ones yeah like it would that's be that's really like probably helpful. my
1: biggest piece of advice is like um like i said you usually don't feel terrible but at the same time it's like it's not that fun being there you know you never really also know how you're going to feel like I definitely remember days that were hard because I was also on like oral chemotherapy that made me feel terrible. And people Mm -hmm. always think about IV chemo as being like stronger, but actually in my case, like the oral prednisone that I had to take was like far and away the worst medication with the worst side effects that I dealt with. So, so I would just say my advice would be like, come prepared for all scenarios. So like, I would bring my schoolwork in case I was feeling good enough to like do my math packets. But then I would also bring brainless television, which in my case was Law and Order SVU or (laughs) ER. Um, I'd bring a book. Um, So I'd say just like you never totally know how you're going to feel. So like bring things so that no matter how you feel, you have something to do. Um, And then the visitor thing I think is, is also important to think about. I really, you know, obviously I was a teenager, so having my parents there, um, was like an amazing source of support and they like acted as my advocate. Um, interestingly, you know, I think most people will find this, you'll find that there's a lot of people when you're diagnosed with cancer who, you know, so kindly want to come visit and they want to be helpful. And I would just say like, be thoughtful about who you want there with you. Like, again, you might not, you, you should be focused on yourself and feeling well and kind of getting through the experience. You shouldn't feel like you have to kind of entertain someone or um, feel like you need to be chatty. So -hmm. I think bringing like close friends, spouse, parents, siblings, that type of thing where you're like, even if I'm at my worst, I know this person will be there for me and be a good advocate for me. is probably better than, I remember I had a friend come one time and it was just rough because I was feeling lousy and I felt like I couldn't really, hang out with her and, um, it ended up being kind of a short lived visit. So I think just be thoughtful about who you want to be there when you're at your worst. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's a really good advice. Um, and a more basic question, can you eat during these infusions?
1: Yes, you definitely can. Um, I feel like getting good food was like a co- big coping mechanism for me. Like my And my parents were very helpful with that. They would go out into the streets of New York and find like something tastier than the hospital
0: (laughs) cafeteria. Um,
1: but yeah, I was always, I was always able to eat. Thank God.
0: Yep. Food is great medicine too. Yes. Yes.
1: It's very true.
0: Um, any routines you had before, after treatment that was helpful?
1: Yeah, it's such a good question. Um, not really like, I think The one thing that comes to mind is just um, we were, you know, we lived about an hour outside of the city, outside of the hospital where I was treated. And so if we knew it was going to be a long day, we'd often come into the city and like stay with family who were there so that we could just kind of be up and at them in the morning. Um, So that's one thing that I would probably recommend. Like if you do have a place to stay closer to the infusion center, um, it's kind of just a nice routine. Um, but no, other than that, just like aggregating all of my various TV shows and books and just Mm -hmm. kind of being ready to kill some time, um, was the main thing for me.
0: So any other advice for our listeners who will be going through similar types of treatments?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think again, like the biggest thing is just to, um, is just to take care of yourself and like surround yourself with people who will make your day easier um, don't put too much pressure on yourself to be productive that day. Like if you're working or in school, like don't tell your boss that you're going to have something ready that night, try and carve out space and time for yourself to kind of, um, heal and, you know, just focus on how you're feeling. Um, I think those are the biggest things that I think about.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks for all of your advice. Um, I'm learning a lot from listening. Good. (laughs) Um, And as a doctor now, how has the experience of being a patient shaped how you treat patients?
1: Yeah, it's such a good question. It's something I think about a lot and I'm like asked a good amount about as well. Um, I think the biggest thing, and I, I wrote about this in, um, that piece that you mentioned the little things is like. I think my biggest takeaway from being a patient is just how much like the minute to minute experience of the day and, um, of just the entire like chemo cancer experience really matters. Um, and I think that that's something in our medical training that we can sometimes lose sight of. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, um, You know, like I said, I would show up um, at the infusion center and we would get uh, labs drawn and then we'd say, okay, the chemo is going to start at nine after you get your labs drawn, et cetera. And, you know, every once in a while, it would be like nine o'clock. I still hadn't gotten my labs drawn. I still hadn't seen the doctor. And of course, when you're the patient, like that's going to cause a certain amount of stress because you want to feel like you understand what's coming. You feel like you want to understand and be in control of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, and so all of those little things, even though in the grand scheme of things, they don't really impact the overall day. Like it's probably going to be fine. Things will be delayed. It's not a huge deal. Like when you're a patient, all those things can be very destabilizing. And so I think just as, um, as a doctor, I try and like take that to heart and just really validate patient's concerns about these things that can seem kind of small or insignificant, but when you're the patient, like that's what constitutes your experience. And so, Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's been the biggest like takeaway, I think having been a patient,
0: the little things like your article is called like really matter to people to validate those concerns and live in the minute to minute and not just the big picture.
1: Totally. And that's why I like, I, I think your all your questions about the port are like so important and spot on. It's like having a port is a huge deal when you're a patient, but when you're a doctor, it's like, oh yeah, just throw it in. That's how we yeah. deliver the chemo. Like you don't really think about what it means to have this plastic device, like living under your skin that has mm-hmm. to be poked at all the time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um. And speaking of that, any patients in particular that you've been able to treat as a doctor that have been particularly memorable or relatable to you? Yeah, I mean, so many, Um,
1: but I think one in particular was um, a woman I took care of on the leukemia service at Brigham, um, who was my age and who just had this horrible refractory leukemia that like kept coming back despite transplants and multiple lines of therapy and um and she just was this like really smart you know medically oriented woman who had just been dealt the most unfair hand that like you could ever imagine and um and I think I don't have anything like incredibly poignant to say, like I think, cause it was just a horrible situation and she ended up passing away last year. But um, but again, I think just trying to be there for her in small ways, um, like for example, um, I remember we were trying to encourage her to eat and she was like, the food here is so bad and I'm on this horrible diet, like what am I supposed to eat? And I remember working with her and her mom would make rice porridge that she really liked. And so our team was able to like help the mom bring in rice porridge so that she could at least like have something in her stomach that was like palatable to her. Um, So I think just like in spite of her horrible situation and prognosis, just trying to be there for her in small ways um, was something that our team could do. And then I think it just ultimately highlighted for me just how, lucky I am. And I think in general, you know, um, pediatric outcomes are really good and adult outcomes, like we're working on it, but they're just not as good right now. And so I think I just try and use that as like a motivating force that hopefully, um, adult oncology
0: can, can catch up and kind of
1: achieve the same outcomes that pediatric patients
0: have. Well, thank you for sharing that, that patient, that moment. And thanks for all you do to help other patients. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Any last words for our listeners?
1: No, I would just say, um, you know, thank you, Jordan, for, you know, creating this podcast. I think it's an amazing forum. And I would just say, um, you know, feel free to include like my email or anything in this podcast. I'm happy to be a resource or a source of support for anyone out there who's battling their own cancer journey.
0: Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. I know our listeners will certainly learn a ton by learning from you. So thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Jordan. It's been really fun talking to you.
0: And that's all for today on the Let's Talk Cancer podcast. Please follow us on Spotify and Instagram and pass it along to anyone you think would benefit from learning about cancer. And don't forget, tune in to our next episode.